This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I think I'll see Wolfowit. So I called and up there, he was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time and he brought me in and uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really, he said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, the, in March of 91, which we had provoked and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. He said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes. Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. That's Wesley Clark talking about stuff that happened before 9-11. I mean, these are, this is about power, and you can agree with it. You can think they're right, because you think of uh, our country in, in those terms. But then let's talk about it in those terms, and not, this is the defense of the American people. This is Monica Perez. Uh, that was Wesley Clark, who is a general, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which is a, a, a think tank like the Brookings Institute, Institute, Institution, Brookings Institution, um, Brookings Institute. We're going to talk about that. Who, who is, who is really being served by this stuff? We are going to talk about that. But first, I want to get to these great calls. Uh, I'm going to, is it, is this Brett or is, is it Brent? Brent. Oh, sorry, Brent. I thought it was a, a someone who has a similar view from, uh, as you, I think, whose name is oh. Brett, but go ahead, Brent. I'm happy to hear from you. You're on the air with Monica. Well, thanks for taking my call, Monica. I, uh, I work in real estate, so I drive around a lot on Saturdays and, and listen to you a lot. So I appreciate the uh, same viewpoints, but I, um, I guess I wanted to touch more on a macro view of this whole situation and how the United States power has played out since the second war. And, you know, what I was saying uh, to your screener was that basically I don't really think the United States has been involved in a justifiable conflict, uh, arguably since world war two. And, you know, the way that that's played out over the past 60 years or so has pretty much led us up to this situation that we're in now. And, you know, we've had multiple opportunities to snuff out this Middle East problem before it became a real problem, uh, including the fact that Clinton had an opportunity to get bin Laden uh, during his administration. And as far as my research can tell, he, he pretty much just took a hard pass on that. So, um, if you want to point fingers at uh, somebody, I guess you could start there. I think that's a little bit of um, straw man or red herring. People would say that Obama did not. It was his pulling back the withdrawal 
that created this problem. Obama was dropping 20,000 bombs a year on Syria. He was not a dove. He wasn't withdrawing. I'll tell you where it started. I had a caller once, really stimulated thought and research and other things, but the way he said it was best. He said back in like the 60s, I think it was, people don't realize that the countries in the Middle East were going secular. After the, what what was the red line document? It wasn't the Balfour Declaration, Sykes-Picot. When they went through and and kind of after World War One, I, I guess it was, and broke up the Ottoman Empire and created these these countries as patchworks they were doing it to keep them weak keep them on their heels but over time what happened was there started to develop these secular nations and even a pan-arabism so that a lot of these nations were secular afghanistan was secular till osama bin laden on our behalf uh undermined that country mossadic in iran that was secular until a u.s-led coup took him out and installed the bloody shot and then the ayatollah was that first one who took the shot out was western trained so i don't even know what the heck goes on in iran but Gaddafi was secular nasser in egypt was secular um assad is secular these these are secular leaders and we have undermined that and if you go back, what the caller had said was, I think it was maybe North African, I don't know, but uh, he sounded it. And he said, you go back and the people in those regions, uh, in that region were so excited to see like JFK and this coming of America as a dawning for them. And it was in the backdrop of colonialism, French and English colonialism, that they looked to us for an example. And, and we did not follow through on that. And we set this stuff up where uh, now it seems that we take out those secular leaders and we're kind of trying to rearrange things back along tribal lines. If you look at Condoleezza Rice's New Middle East map, it shows that that's what they're trying to do. And by making it religious, they make it uh, maybe more violent. I don't know. I don't know what their ra- rationale is, but we're not taking the high road. And Obama wasn't taking the weak road. I think these people are serving a higher uh, authority and they're serving interests, not ours, but in our name and with our money. And Binkley, my producer here, has come up with some some clips that are undeniable that there is a they and and they're active and intentional. And um, I, we played it some on, our, on the propreport.com, and we're going to play some now. I want to get to Tariq before my segment closes. <coughs> hey, Tariq, you, sorry to catch you by surprise. You've been on hold for a while. Tariq, you are on with Monica. <laughs> How you doing? Thank, thank, I'm doing great. Hope you're doing well. And thank you again and your staff, all of that you do for us. I believe uh, there are two things going on. First of all, uh, some of the callers, they're really comparing apples and oranges. Uh, some of them have uh, served, which I did. I, I served also during the Vietnam era, even though I did not go to Nam. But I my brother says the same thing. He's a Vietnam era vet. Yeah. He was in Southeast Asia, but he was not in Vietnam. But I. But but the bottom line is, I, I through marriage, I am related. I know uh, a retired general, for instance who was over the defense of Washington, D.C. during Clinton's administration. But but the bottom line is this. There are two levels. 
originally when our country was formed, and in, in that first cent- over century, we were more concentrated and focused on ourselves, okay? From what I have learned in my readings, what I believe is the founding fathers never intended on us to uh, do a lot of the things that we're doing now, okay? I um, Read really Washington's can't... farewell speech, his farewell address yeah. makes it crystal you know, clear. Even, Don't have friends even, either, not enemies nor friends. Yeah, even right after the Revolutionary War, Washington was under pressure by Jefferson to uh, support the French against the uh, English, but Washington uh, decided not to do that. Why, Jefferson, not Adams? Tariq, sorry. It was Jefferson? Jefferson, sometimes he comes up. Well, he wasn't the only one, but I know Jefferson was more supportive of Uh supporting the French, okay? Okay, But, but the bottom line is this. Even if you even if you fast forward to more recently, you really have to start, like you said, around World War One. That's when things shifted a lot. Yep. And America became more aggressive and involved and connected with imperialism and different things that we do around. And the that's country. that's when we got the Fed and the IRS and uh yeah. Yeah, the, the central bank. It's all kind of stuff going on. Yeah. But, but what some veterans that that are listening, I think. You know, because it's, if you've ever been to war, been in there, you know, there's a there's a rhyme and a reason. There's a process that they make you a warrior. And if you've lost, I lost a cousin in Nam. But I didn't, for one second, hear you saying anything negative about the soldiers. There's a difference from the soldiers than what the soldiers are asked to do. To me, one of the reasons why a lot of us really didn't, I, I know for a fact how a lot of the leaders through felt about no military leaders they want to be able to win if they are asked to win you don't want to be in a position i believe where you ask an american to put his life at risk right unless number one there's a good reason okay and some some believe in the in the 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 economy that we're going through now for the last century or so there are a lot that don't. A lot of us just rather not do it, even if we serve, unless we have a good reason. That's the bottom line. And I know this is a radio program. <laughs> we don't have time to get into a lot of the different nuances and, and micro elements of the of the various challenges. But that's really what you were talking about. Yeah, I would like... About. I appreciate that. I would like to emphasize, I mean, my father fought in World War II. I hate to say that because it makes me sound old. I guess I'm old. <laughs> but he, he fought in World War II, and he I found a copy of a book called Backdoor to War from the 50s with his like margin notes all over it. And after that, he said, FDR tricked us into that war. When uh, we invaded Iraq, he, he was 100% against it, and I wasn't. I was like, but if Hussein is Hitler, don't you want to get ahead of that? And he was just like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like... Like he just is like, they, I, how do I know that? Like, how can I justify it? So he, uh, uh, I mean, he was at sea for like 11 months straight in the South Pacific. He was traumatized by the dodged torpedoes and whatnot. He, but, and I loved him and respected him. And I was like a mess at his funeral when they came and folded up the flag and laid it at, like, he gave it to my mother and like knelt before it was I I moved to tears by that stuff, and I am so grateful for it. But you have to make sure that these people are dying uh, for what they signed up for, and that is to help is to protect us and our liberty. 
and, and but just remember this. Like I said, some of them real. I believe they really on. They really don't understand your major points. But but neither. I won't go there because they'd be calling up raising hell about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't but, know. But but the bottom line is, it still goes back to knowledge. I get on this just about every week. If if the biggest problem that the United States has now, the biggest threat is not China, in my opinion. It's not Russia, even these globalists. It, well, I, I take that back. The biggest problem is what this, what I call the collective movement has, that's been going on really for several hundred years. And now a lot of us don't know our history. We don't know I got our it. history. I absolutely have to take a, a break, Tariq, okay. but I'm going to sum that up for you. It's it's what it is. Uh, I think ignorance is the enemy and we have the capacity to educate ourselves and make just like you would educate your own conscience, educate yourself and prepare for uh, answering. Maybe I call it the St. Peter test on your judgment day. Thank you so much for the call. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Uh, I just played earlier in this half hour a clip by Wesley Clark laying it all out from uh, many years ago, and I'm going to bring it home after this break, but let's hear that Wesley Clark clip again. I think I'll see Wolfowitz. So I called and up there. He was available. Scooter Libby came to the door. I met Scooter for the first time, and he brought me in. And uh, I said to Paul, I said, and this is 1991, I said, Mr. Secretary, you must be pretty happy with the performance of the troops in, in Desert Storm. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he said, but, but not really. He said, because the truth is we should have gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, and we didn't. And this was just after the Shia uprising in, in March of 91, which we had provoked, and then we kept our troops on the sidelines and didn't intervene. And he said, but one thing we did learn, he said, we learned that we can use our military in the region, in the Middle East, and the Soviets won't stop us. He said, and we've got about five or ten years to clean up those old Soviet client regimes, Syria, Iran, Iraq, before the next great superpower comes on to challenge us. Straight power concepts. That's what this is about. It's, it's not about anything else. And uh, I'm going to explain to you where he, where Wesley, Wesley Clark, I think, is controlled opposition there, or limited hangout, because he is a member of the CFR. And that goes hand in hand with who's calling these shots and uh, what they're calling them for. So let's uh, dig deeper into that after the break. 800-WSB-TALK, or you can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'd just like to uh, remember two uh, fellow airmen I was stationed with at Patrick Air Force Base that were killed in the Cobar Towers bombing. Captain Hahn and, and Airman Wood were both uh, in my unit, and they lost their lives during the bombing. I just want to remember them and the others who died on that day back in 1996. WSB listeners have been leaving personal memorials for family members lost in battle this Memorial Day weekend. You could do the same using the open mic feature on the WSB radio app. We will continue to honor Memorial Day with you all weekend on WSB. And in that 
Spirit, I want to read uh, about a Congressional Medal of Honor winner I talked about earlier, Ross McGinnis. He uh, he received the medal uh, in 2008. He entered service in 2004. It says, while Private McGinnis was manning the M2 50 caliber machine gun, a fragmentation grenade thrown by an insurgent fell through the gunner's hatch into the vehicle. Reacting quickly, he yelled, grenade, allowing all four members of his crew to prepare for the grenade's blast. Then, rather than leaping from the gunner's hatch to safety, Private McGinnis made the courageous decision to protect his crew. In a selfless act of bravery in which he was mortally wounded, Private McGinnis covered the live grenade, pinning it between his body and the vehicle and absorbing most of the explosion. Private McGinnis' gallant action directly saved four men from certain serious injury or death. Private First Class McGinnis's extraordinary heroism and selflessness at the cost of his own life, above and beyond the call of duty, are in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. So I have a couple of actual, uh, actually uh, books on Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And if you want to really understand courage and magnanimity and selflessness uh, in the service of this country. I suggest you just read about those who have won the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I was raised by a World War II vet who lived in absolute and, and taught me to live in complete gratitude for this country, for the 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 liberty and the the prosperity and the virtue, I believe, in which it was founded, and always with a sense of gratitude towards the people who have sacrificed for that, uh, starting with the founders right up until uh, Ross McGinnis and all the people from this era. And I, uh, I think it's important to respect them. I, uh, there's a great book, I, I guess if you want to separate the idea of uh, the military from the politicians, you might want to read uh, Smedley Butler. He got two Congressional Medals of Honor and uh, turned down a third. It was one of the most decorated Marines. I think it was the most decorated Marine at the time. His story is very, very interesting. But I recommend that uh, I give it to uh, my young son to read these Congressional Medal of Honor winner stories. They're very inspiring, very suitable for Memorial Day. Uh, I want to in let me take a call and then I want to get to some some of the stuff that I was talking about before. Let's see. Oh my gosh, I'm going to give Maurice a chance to redeem himself, Maurice. <laughs> Hey, Wait, I, I let I you say stuff. I really let you say, but you can't not allowed to use vulgarity on my show. Get me in trouble. Uh, I apologize. Uh, you know, uh, I could give you excuses, but there are none. <laughs> you got carried but, away. I get it. I get it. Man of passion. Exactly Don't do it again or I can't take your calls. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I don't know if you read the screener's notes, but I mean, I, did I not. could flesh out last week's comment, which were, warrants a whole show, by the way. But the thing that I said was that H.G. Wells wrote a treatise back in his heyday 
for the globalist elite. And in it, basically, he said, we got to get it together. The middle class is going to uh, expand and get really big, and they will win. And we have to crush them financially, kill them, do anything we have to do. Hence, we have wars. And And progressive uh, taxes. Exactly. All of that. Seriously. And I think that's like in the in the uh, protocol is progressive taxation. People think it's about taxing the wealthy. It's absolutely not. It's it's taxing the most industrious working class. Right. It's the work. Even if you want to call it the working rich. Those are the ones who can pull a Ron Paul on you and head down to the up to the Capitol. Right. You know, uh, Wayne Jett is the author of Fruits of Graphs, which is where a lot of this information is from. But it's basically about how the the uh, Great Depression was designed specifically to destroy the middle class and the underlings. And, you know, it goes into things, connections to like the the Red Symphony, which you may have heard of. Which no, but I do have the, a book called The Greatest Story Never Told about yeah, Winston well, Churchill right. watching, being called right. to the stock market right. floor to watch. Right, right. In advance. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But uh, at any rate, so there's that. But let me uh, say a little bit more about the Pope because... No, no, no. You, it, not Look, Maurice, not because I want to silence you. I did not do my homework on that, and that is going to derail me. I want to... We're talking about the Brookings Institution, and it's worth yeah. it. I'm sorry, Maurice. And you should feel free to communicate with me, email me, or whatever. Go to thepropreport.com. Give me... Is it actually prop report, or is it propaganda report? It, we Well, when WordPress took us down, we had to change the URL. Because it, it WordPress now, if you go to the old URL, which I own, but it will yeah. redirect because of cookies right. or whatever, to the old one. And now it says, this person is trying to steal your money yeah. run away you know like yeah. i can't so it's now the com. go to there i have this um we're rebuilding we have this great forum it's uh and and i'll communicate immediately as soon as i get like a notification we can really and if you give me the link so let me figure let yeah, me okay. assess and, i'm and, all about that and i want to tell you you are the most important thing on the atlanta airwaves oh I thanks Morris. Yeah. you're mean, just not, saying that because you're, saying, <laughs> you have I'm some making up to do. Because I don't, you know, <laughs> more important than Rush even. Uh, and that's uh, kind. But, now that is kind of like a sacrilege. I don't think you. I I'll never get kicked off the air for anything. But maybe that. <laughs> like I don't know. I listen to Rush. Right. Well, me too. Yeah. But I'm just saying you're actually getting at all the points that really have to be exposed. Rush buffers it because of whatever reason. Yeah, but he definitely, like, gets your little conspiracy thing working. I'm, I was surprised by, like, how deep he goes, which is why I'm surprised people, like, push back on me. But um, maybe he's just opening the door. Well, I'm going to get to it, though. I think it's new, though, on his part. Oh, uh, all right. Well, I, I do enjoy him, and I'm going to look forward to hearing from you, Maurice. And I and I will. I always dig into this stuff. Um it takes me some time because there's so much to do and read and all that, but I do try to get to the bottom of it. And then we don't always agree, of course, but it, I, 
I always welcome honest debate and inquiry. Always, always, always. And uh, and I really welcome being corrected because my worldview is so like, abysmal that if I'm wrong, it makes me happy. So if you ever hear me say something you don't like, feel free to call 800-WSB-TALK. But I want to... So this Brookings thing, oh, this is what I wanted to do. There is a... Uh, there's this quote I read because we were talking about Iran. So that was a Wesley Clark clip that we heard twice already. I'm not going to play it again, but it was from 1991 where he said, we're going to take out Iran, Iraq and Syria. That's what's cooking in the Pentagon. And that's what we're doing, right? That's what we're working on as a country. And, uh, last week, if you want to go to the prop report.com, you can find, uh, last week's show where I played the Washington Institute for Near East Affairs, uh, who's like the people on that board kiss from Kissinger to Kirkpatrick. I think uh, that Washington Institute is the, is the top. And they were talking about we're in the business of provoking war with Iran. You know, that's what they're saying and that's what they're doing. And here's um, from 2009 from the Brookings Institute. Uh, that says. It's a quote, it says any military operation. This is from a book called Which Path to Persia. It's on page 54, Which Path to Persia, put out by the Brookings Institution in 2009. Any military operation against Iran will likely be very unpopular around the world and require the proper international context, both to ensure the logistical support the operation would require and to minimize the blowback from it. The best way to minimize international opprobrium and maximize support, however grudging or covert, is to strike only when there is a widespread conviction that the Iranians were given but then rejected a superb offer. Now, that would explain why the Iran deal is like, that's the best deal anyone ever got. We really got bamboozled. We got snuckered as all get out with that, you know, whatever deal. So the idea is to spread the conviction the Iranians were given but then rejected a superb offer, one so good that only a regime determined to acquire nuclear weapons and acquire them for the wrong reasons would turn it down. Under those circumstances, the United States or Israel could portray its operations as taken in sorrow, not anger, and at least some in the international community would conclude that the Iranians brought it on themselves by refusing a very good deal. Brookings Institutions, 2009, Which Path to Persia Report, page 54. So what he's saying is give them a deal that only a fool could refuse or a bad actor would refuse and have them refuse it, which is what what the impression is, that this was this great deal and President Trump declined to recertify that they were in compliance. But... That didn't come out of the IAEA or the people who were actually inspecting for the deal. And I did a whole show, I think it was in 2015, about the Iran deal. I did not want to defend it because I never believe that there's a good faith effort to solve these problems in a in a non-violent or compromising way. So when Obama came up with this deal, I was like, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it's what you see is what you get. And... You know, within the confines of this deal, it does not appear that we that they would just pop up with nuclear weapons 10 years from now. And I remember when Michelle Bachman was saying when she was running for president years back, Iran is within 12 months. If Obama gets reelected, Iran's going to have nuclear weapons within 12 months. I mean, this is the kind of imminent threat that we were told. And 
and this deal looked like it would deal with that. So I had to be cautiously optimistic. Then only after that, only recently from a Truthstream media video, did I find this quote, and I bought the book to verify it. It took me a while because the citation was misleading, but um, it was a different edition. Uh, but I found it, verified it. They, you know, this is the kind of plotting they're engaged in. Now, how does the Brookings Institution get this stuff, get the rubber to hit the road on this? That's where Binkley comes in with his smoking gun. We're going to get to that, if not right after the break, because we have a smaller segment than at the top of the hour. Uh, stay tuned. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It is Memorial Day weekend, and we do honor the fallen soldiers, and it isn't uh, I'm a hardcore libertarian. I have, I do uh, subscribe to the non-aggression principle. So I have to view these things, um, wars, as separate from the honor and respect that we show those of us who are brave and selfless enough to sign up. And I would say to a man and to a woman, uh, they do it for the right reasons. And you got to respect that. That's all you can do. That's all you can expect in law, in morality. You, If you're doing it for the right reason, it's honorable. So uh, so I think this is suitable for us to reread that first tweet that we opened the show with, Binkley. Do you have that handy? I do. It's from Griseko, and he tweeted, This weekend is one weekend where we put aside our biases and bow our heads to the soldiers who lost their lives in battle serving our country. And then he says... Rest in peace, Chris and Jay. Chris and Jay, I miss you guys. Yeah, you can't put it better than that. I appreciate that. And then uh, uh, there's a. Uh, how about another? Uh, Do you have another? Got one from Clayton that says, "Thank you for the show today, Monica. I'm Gen X and know many folks whose dads didn't make it home from Nam. I lost friends in Iraq and I lost law enforcement officer friends in 9/11. I know several guys that didn't come home the same." Thank you again for the show today. Yeah, you gotta... The thing is, it's very easy to um, think about parties and personalities when you're assessing important matters. But this country was not founded by the... You know, the if you ever read about the sacrifices that the founders of this country made personally, um, financially, family-wise, loyalty... You you have to respect that that this that the politics we look at politics and personality and propaganda all that stuff and it seems like a game but it's absolutely not a game and I feel like it may just be that this fight the real fight is to just kick the can of tyranny no matter what your form of government no matter what your era in history but just keep your mind focused on right and wrong on uh, rights and, um, you know, liberty and justice for all, really. And really think about that and have the courage to stand up for it, even if the uh, if the propaganda tells you that you're wrong. Let's, let's get to the good stuff, more good stuff, after the break. This is Monica Perez.